This JMR podcast is sponsored by the Journal of Medical Regulation, serving for over a century as the premier publication on physician licensure, discipline, and regulation. To learn more, visit jmronline.org. Welcome to the JMR podcast. I'm David Johnson, your host for today's podcast. We are recording on Thursday, July 16th, 2020. And my guests today are Jimmy Bush and Micah Matthews. Ms. Bush serves as the Director of Quality and Engagement for the Washington State Medical Commission. And Mr. Matthews serves as the Deputy Executive and Legislative Director for the Washington Medical Commission. Uh, Jimmy's article, Engaging the Solo Practitioner to Reduce Errors and Burnout, appears in the current issue of the Journal of Medical Regulation. So, Jimmy, Micah, welcome to the JMR Podcast. Thanks for the invitation. Thanks for having us. Well, let's dive right in. Jimmy, a question for you. What led to this specific line of research and thus the article that is appearing currently in JMR? So we began looking into the difficulties of solo practice after attending a conference hosted by the Coalition for Physician Enhancement. Originally, we were attending the conference to present research on practitioner recidivism in Washington. And during the Q&A session, other jurisdictions mentioned that their solo practitioners were particularly vulnerable. So at that time, we were lacking insightful data in this area and didn't have a lot to add to the conversation. But after the conference, we began reaching out to our solo practitioners to learn more about their unique challenges. Um, We didn't have a a hypothesis regarding what solo practice was like at that time. Mm -hmm. We were honestly just trying to learn more about them and their practice to see if there was an opportunity for involvement and improvement. And the initial feedback was, was enlightening. Um, We found that they enjoyed their ability to interact with their patients, but it was the administrative burdens that made them want to leave solo practice. And so in order to provide the opportunity for all of our solo practitioners to offer input, we developed a survey and then emailed it to all of our solo practicing MDs. And then we just looked at their responses and contacted individual providers for more information. Very good. You know, Jimmy, as I was reading your article, uh, it struck me in some ways a solo practitioner in medicine it seems like a real throwback to an earlier era. And so I, I'm wondering how common are solo practitioners in Washington state? And, you know, from a, a demographic perspective, how are they different from their peers that are working in health systems? You know, I would 100% agree with that sentiment. Um, my ancestral home is in rural Georgia, and my grandma would tell stories about paying the local physician with chickens when times were hard. <laughs> um, and growing up, I thought that seeing the same doctor at the same office for your entire life was something that only happened in the movies. So this shift in preferences from solo practice to larger health Uh, groups and organizations is a complex discussion and probably for a later time. But there is no doubt that solo practitioners are filling a void. So specifically in Washington, in Island County, which is a remote location, they have less than one doctor per 1,000 people. And the solo physicians there make up over 50% of the practice. So we see similar trends in rural counties, where there are less than two physicians per 1,000 residents. But solo practice counts for about 25 to 40% of providers. Mm. Wow. 
Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, I'm a little surprised. That's a fair, that seems like a fairly high figure. Yeah, and it's it's mainly because large hospital systems are just not predominant in these regions. And the solo uh, providers are really stepping up to ensure that there's access to care for these residents. Very good. Um, so then just kind of talking about a little bit more of, of common of the common solo practitioner. In Washington, we have about thir- uh, 1,300 physicians that have self-identified through our demographic census as a solo practitioner. And that represents only about 7% of our total licensed uh, population. The predominant uh, specialty is psychiatry, followed by family and internal medicine. And family and internal medicine are the most common specialties amongst the total physician population. And unsurprisingly, the biggest difference between a solo practice and a practice and practitioner and their colleague practicing in a hospital is that there's more representation by surgical specialties and health systems. Hmm. Uh, The solo practitioner tends to be older and identify as male. That the large difference here is that women are not as predominant in solo practice. And lastly, the big difference is about 44% of our solo practitioners are not ABMS certified. That's compared to 13% of our total population. Thank you. So, David, I did want to address the throwback concept uh, that you mentioned in your question. Uh, I would I would argue it's is it a throwback or is it the new modern? And and the reason I say that is because for years the Silicon Valley types have dreamed about quote unquote disrupting healthcare. And we've seen it with moderate success in urgent care telemedicine startups and that venture capital market. Uh, but we've also seen catastrophic failure in the form of Theranos and others. Uh, so with COVID, we are seeing a return to uh, if not an informal solo practice model, uh, virtually, you know, practitioners who used to come in, work with a large group are now enabled to work with their EMR clinical decision-making tool and in the comfort of their own home, making quote house calls all day with patients. Uh, the throwback is here. The practitioners are just more efficient and they don't need to know how to saddle a horse. Um, there, I think in your future <laughs> questions, we're probably going to need to be talking about what levels of support need to happen to, uh, maintain that because it seems clear patients and practitioners and health systems who are either trying to be responsible or trying to address risk averse issues are going to want to maintain that model to some degree. Mike, I like that. I like the idea of you know, sort of thinking of uh, the solo practitioner as in less of a throwback model as opposed to maybe this is something that is perhaps more of a new normal or potentially a new normal. Uh, great way to think about that. Uh, you know, but staying on the subject, though, of a solo practitioner, um, so what are the challenges and the stresses that are unique to a solo practice environment? I suspect there's some that are very distinct to that setting. Yes. And in today's healthcare, there's a depth of capital needed to launch an independent practice. And in the past, a physician might have had a relationship with a local banker, but now decisions are more likely to be made from corporate headquarters and less likely to consider the significant economic impact a single physician can have on a community. Our practitioners report that banks do not seem to understand uh, healthcare financing and are not eager to get involved. And so then when you do get an independent practice up and running, more challenges await. Payers have not kept up with the cost of running a practice. Uh, One of our physicians gave an example of a practice that was started about 20 years ago. And back then, Medicare may have paid $3 for a lab draw and private insurers paid $12. But over time, practice expenses have increased. 
but in some areas, reimbursement is now even lower. Medicare pays about $2.76, and private payers pay $3 for that same lab draw. In addition, reimbursement rates for independent practices are lower than in large groups and networks. Bigger practices bring the promise of economies of scale and stronger negotiating positions with insurers. Uh, one of the big things we see is uh, issues with paperwork and administrative tasks. These are also a burden that weighs heavier on solo practitioners. For many solo practices, a lot of time is devoted to providing quality and cost data to insurers. In a big group, the work of providing that data can be readily assigned to a dedicated employee. And one of the one of the more, in my opinion, heartbreaking uh, aspects of solo practice is the isolation these providers feel. Isolation is a common theme because solo practitioners have less opportunity to consult and interact with a physician colleague on a daily basis. And now I don't want to paint a picture where solo practitioners are the only providers that are experiencing these issues, but these tend to be pressure points for this group. I mean, just imagine the stress of being a healthcare provider in general with overscheduled work days, demanding pace, and the emotional intensity, and then add the pressure of trying to keep a small business productive and profitable. And we're just seeing that small independent practices are disappearing as younger physicians eschew the administrative and entrepreneurial challenges of smaller practice. Hmm. You know, in some ways, uh, Jimmy, when you, you talked about the isolation, obviously that it's it, we're not talking about simply physical or geographical isolation. It goes much beyond that. But it, it made me think a little bit of, frankly, much of the workforce in the midst of the COVID pandemic with working from home and those some of those casual workday interactions that just aren't happening unless you're sort of actively seeking them out as opposed to they just seem to naturally occur when everybody's in one place in the workforce. Yeah, I agree. I mean, COVID has brought up a lot of just questions in general about how we run our medical boards, uh, what people need to feel engaged in their workplace. And you know, solo practice was a great opportunity to kind of dive into this population, but it's really teaching us some lessons about just work environments in general. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We know, Jimmy, your article related the results of a Gallup survey of solo practitioners in Washington state. And in particular, your article addresses or discusses what you felt were three critical questions from that survey and solo practitioners' responses. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that particular line of inquiry that you did. Absolutely. So the questions, just for reference, were, one, do I have the opportunity to do what I do best every day? Two, in the last week, have I received recognition, praise, or acknowledgement for doing good work? And three, is there someone at work who encourages my personal and professional development? Now, these are very broad questions designed to gauge employee engagement across professions and sectors. It's not unique to healthcare. And, but research has indicated that physicians who answered negatively to these questions were less likely to have positive scores of satisfaction and retention from patients and staff, and general productivity was also below average. Employees in general, just people in the work world, who answer negatively to these questions are, are often dissatisfied with their work or burnt out. And we know through some studies that uh, national burnout amongst physicians is over 50%. However, 
it's around 13% for those practicing solo. And so these engagement questions gave some insight as to why. While solo practitioners may still feel the stress due to time pressures, they often report higher satisfaction in their interactions with patients. They also have more control over their work environments and organizational culture than employees of large health systems. Physicians in small practices tend to have uh, deeper relationships with their patients, increased autonomy, and report greater professional satisfaction. And so as a medical board, we want to ensure that these engagement responses remain positive and that we can provide resources to their points of concern, like uh, administrative and technology burdens. So the majority of our solo practitioners answered positively to the first two questions, but only 44% agreed with the statement of encouraging personal and professional development. This tells us that there may be a shortage of peer-to-peer -peer interactions among solo practitioners, and there's less opportunity for feedback and mentoring from colleagues, going back to that feeling of isolation. Hmm. Uh, Jimmy, one of the other topics that you talk about in your article uh, is medical error reporting. And in, in some ways, you, you framed it almost as sort of a conundrum that was presented by reporting medical errors. I wonder if you could speak a little bit about that and the challenges to reporting, and I suspect then somewhat specific to a solo practitioner setting. Sure. So while greater autonomy in practice shows higher satisfaction scores in patient interactions, it can also lead to a practice that does not have a system in place for evaluating workplace errors and implementing corrections to system issues. Um, small practices are less likely to participate in quality improvement efforts, um, also to collaborate with other small practices and disseminate lessons learned. And uh, research has shown that physicians who participate in QI initiatives and embrace the accelerating changes in healthcare see improved outcomes for patients. So the conundrum in the error reporting is with the pressures present in trying to keep what is essentially a small business afloat, there is a disincentive to report an error that may lead to a malpractice claim and subsequently jeopardize mm -hmm. your practice. Of the physicians that report being sued, 70% are in solo practice. And practitioners in all environments often perceive the reporting mm -hmm. of an error as confirmation of incompetence. So... But we kind of know just in our line of work that reporting an error is fundamental to prevention and improvement efforts. And know, knowing what we know through the engagement survey that there is a lack of colleague or peer interaction amongst solo practitioners creates an environment where feedback about practices and process improvement are minimal. So we fall into this loop. Uh, where solo practitioners uh, stress about something that may lead to a near-miss event, but without a support system to discuss the event and approve upon, these near-misses can lead to an error. And reporting that error can put a strain on their small business, which leads to more stress. And so there's a there's just kind of a culture where we don't want to admit we've done something wrong, but reporting incidents lead to feedback and improvement opportunities. And I'll just follow on on that. That makes sense. Um, the way the, the the medical commission in 2011, we nearly got a near miss registry for the state. Uh, it would be one where the medical commission did not have access to the information. Uh, but what ended up happening, you know, even if even though it was internal and confidential from the regulator, 
the health systems themselves didn't want to have it. And I think that speaks a little bit to what Jimmy was talking about with the with the solo practitioner as well. You have to answer the question of now that you have the data, are you required to do with something with it? Uh, knowledge may equal power, but it, it, it also equals responsibility if you possess that information. So similarly, <clears throat> excuse me, we've got a uh, communication and resolution program that's been formalized with a nonprofit in Seattle. And number one, solo practitioners don't really have access to that. And if you're not familiar with it, with a CRP program, uh, you can look at University of Michigan and, and, and their research on that and shows how it can reduce malpractice claims and that sort of thing. And it involves making the patient whole, uh, giving a payout if necessary, and then making the system changes and communicating those system changes so the error doesn't happen again. Uh, but so to date, we've seen maybe five over the course of five years. And that's just because risk management won't let it move forward. They're not willing to let us see what they see on the inside. Um, and I think that from the perspective of what Jimmy was talking about, yeah, the business thing absolutely is there. But I think there's a, a pervasive culture in medicine of we want to change and fix errors, mm -hmm. but we're afraid to have that conversation and where it may lead on the legal realm. That, that makes sense. That's very understandable. So kind of stepping back and putting this all together, from a medical board perspective, what, what can a medical board do to offer appropriate help or support to solo practitioners? I mean, how can they best engage with them, frankly? So just going back to what Micah was saying, medical boards can begin to help solo practitioners by creating a culture where, where error reporting is not seen as a failure, but as an opportunity to not make the same mistake twice. Um, we can also create opportunities for in interaction and mentorships. Mentorships among physicians encourage discussion and communication regarding best practices. We can also facilitate partnerships with community health workers to strengthen the overall community health team. These partnerships can help lighten the burden of a solo practitioner while improving the outcomes of their patients. In Washington, we call these accountable communities of health, and they've made some great strides in looking at uh, the whole healthcare of a region. We can also provide educational opportunities that focus on the unique challenges of a solo practitioner, including um, insurance filings, Medicare payments, EHR integration, regulatory compliance, and uh, general tips and tricks for reducing administrative burdens. And I think lastly, medical boards kind of have a responsibility to help small practices make the system and workflow changes that are necessary to adopt new technology and improve quality of care. We see sometimes in government, a law will be passed uh, requiring a certain level of technology or understanding of a new EHR system. Um, and I don't know that the support is really there to help our solo practitioners implement these changes. So I think we could do a better job of walking them through what needs to be done. Now, the engagement question is a little more complicated. Um, I'm sorry, but I do not have a blueprint for engaging your specific solo practitioner. So, uh, solo practice in Texas undoubtedly looks different from solo practice, practice in Washington. And medical boards should look at the demographics of their solo practitioners and, and determine an appropriate uh, approach to en engagement that meets their unique preferences. So if your solo practitioners are spread across many hundreds of miles, virtual interactions may be more effective in engagement. If your solo practitioners are of an older demographic, it may be more successful to host in-person events. 
There's no one right answer for every jurisdiction, except to recognize that solo practitioners are unique and engagement is increased when a person feels that they're being listened to. So find out what those concerns are from your solo practitioners and find a way to work together so that we create consistent and safe care for those patients. I'll also add that uh, humanizing medical boards, I think, is something that, uh, well, just regulators in general, I think we we don't do a very good job of. Um, And what I mean by that is when most licensees think of who is the medical board, they think discipline. Uh, In uh, numerous cases of our experience, the licensees that we issued the license to think that the Department of Licensing is where they got their medical license and not the medical board (laughs) itself. Uh, And so... So I think it's it's about reaching out and, like Jimmy said, engaging in the proper way and the proper channels, but also letting them know that we're we're a resource that is more than discipline. And, and Jimmy has definitely been heading up uh, efforts to to do that to engage, uh, you know, everything from going and having tables at the medical association and PA association state annual meetings to just having a table at a at a, a marathon in Seattle. So just helping people understand, getting us out there, getting us in the community and, and letting them know again that we're, we're more than discipline and we can be a resource to help them be successful. Wonderful. Well, uh, first of all, thank you for you know, sharing this research. I suspect, you know, the listeners from the, the state medical board community that are having a chance to tune into this podcast, I, I think they tend to value uh, research and best practices, guidance that comes from their peers in other states, just sharing their experiences. So first of all, thank you for for putting this research together and sharing with the JMR. Uh, Finally, Jimmy, uh, Micah, are there any last comments or observations you'd like to offer in closing? Um, I think the last thing that I I would like to reiterate in the quest to help a solo practitioner – Confidential and voluntary error reporting systems Hmm. will increase the likelihood of reporting incidents. Um, And so I think it's important to at least have a medical board look at those opportunities. Um, It may not be appropriate in every jurisdiction or for every profession, but it really does make a difference to reducing burnout to um, not making the same mistake twice, to just kind of have that forum for discussion. So I really hope medical boards will take a look at what's available to them. And I would say that uh, just as we, as Jimmy had discussed, creating a plan that maybe helps with some mentorship. uh, One thing that I think that solo practitioners do suffer from, and and we tapped on that a little bit, is the lack of the hallway consult. Um, that's that's invaluable in in any medical practice area, and it just it allows you to have the courage as a practitioner to say, "Is this right? Am I looking at this correctly?" And be able to question your own decisions. And that and getting a colleague to help do that does help. So finding a way to enable that connection, whether it's virtual, in person, mentor, uh, or you know maybe someone on med- on the staff at the medical board. Uh, having a way to give that resource is, is, I think, something that's going to be important to maintain the integrity of the solo practitioner, uh, whether it's the the throwback version or this new modern one. Very good. Well, Jimmy and Micah, first of all, thank you for joining us this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you. 
And our listeners can access Jimmy's article, Engaging the Solo Practitioner to Reduce Errors and Burnout, at jmronline.org. I hope everyone will join us for our next JMR podcast, and have a safe day. This JMR podcast is sponsored by the Journal of Medical Regulation, serving for over a century as the premier publication on physician licensure, discipline, and regulation. To learn more, visit jmronline.org.